Good morning. I hope everybody's having a fantastic day, a fantastic morning. I'm hoping you're getting started. Or at least it's morning time when I'm recording this. I'm Zid Ra. Z-I-D-R-I-W. Welcome to Otaku Beef. And I'm having a great day already. And it's not that I'm having a great day because things are good things are happening to me or I woke up next to a free breakfast or a pile of money or anything like that. I just choose to be having a good day as soon as I wake up because that's kind of what it's all about, in my opinion. But anyway, so I woke up with this notion in my head of anime versus manga anime versus manga if you're a purist which do you prefer and I don't know if that's a question that too many people ask or if that's a question that many people even think about but I feel like we have a preference I know I do Um, when I was first in college when I was a freshman a good friend of mine who you know he's the there's always the one guy that has the hookup when it comes to anime he knows the best shows he knows how to get more shows faster this was this was our guy he would always tell me oh yeah I heard about XYZ show um but I'm waiting for the anime to come out because that's what he preferred. He preferred the anime. So when Naruto was brand new and most people were reading the manga, he was basically, he read a couple of chapters and he's like, this is gonna be an awesome anime, I'm gonna wait. And that's what he did. That was his preference. Now, for myself, I prefer manga. For most shows, Um, if it's a long form Shonen Jump, or if it's in any type of romantic show, or even if it's like an adventure, I always prefer the manga because I feel like I can control the pace of when things are happening better. And it's kind of crazy because you would think that in the manga you lose not just movements, but you lose a lot of the emotional content. They can control it better. Like, if you look at a show like Attack on Titan, the emotional content is controlled way more in the show than it is in the manga. It comes off as way more intense. The Titans are way creepier. It feels, it hits you harder. So maybe in that incident, the anime is making a stronger point than the manga. But in other shows, I feel like the animes don't dive deep enough. They don't give you those little details that you can only get when you have enough time to slow down and pay attention to some of the extra 
sometimes I feel like the anime will translate things in a way that can be a little bit silly. I prefer the, the manga of Death Note over the anime of Death Note. I mean, I'll give you one sentence why. Take a chip and eat it! That's, that's not how I read that scene. And I guarantee that's not how that scene was written. They were needing to add intensity because it's a visual sound audio medium. One Punch Man of the manga I feel outstrips the anime by tenfold. It's it's something within the soul that it can do that the anime can't. So going a little bit further, One Punch Man, one of the things that makes it so incredible is how far the creator really takes the the scale of the adventure when someone really crafts an alien invasion or an invasion from the sea nobody really gives you the impression of size and scale that they give you in one punch man and when i compare the anime versus the man- versus the manga the the it's, it's almost no comparison um without going into too many details because i don't really want to want to spoil one punch man because it's the more that i read the more it climbs on one of the most incredible stories one of the most incredible uh in manga i've ever read in my life um i can already tell that's going to end up on my favorites list but anyway, we'll just say during one of the outlandish alien invasion scenes, it's the way that the creator plays with the size and scope of what they're showing us. They'll show Saitama standing on a ship, zoom out, show the ship, zoom out, show the fleet of ships, zoom out. See, most bango would stop right there. But then they'll zoom out and they'll show uh, the ship and how where it is in the country. And they'll zoom out further and they'll show where the, the ship has a dot as it, as it compares to Earth. Because you zoom out further and they'll show a giant mothership in comparison to uh, the size of Earth. And they'll zoom out further. Like, it takes it to these crazy extreme levels. The, and the detail of the zoom out it's not shitty it's 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 by tenfold it gets better and better the crazy details of like the things in the mothership the crazy details of um the uh, the robot hero whose name's escaping me right now how it'll take panels and it will do this slowed down version so it's like almost imagine the giant extremely detailed robot character hits the lands on the roof boom then it'll cut to another full page spread of the character slowly opening its arm cannon boom it'll cut to another full page spread 
of the arm cannon charging, extremely highlighted detail, and it'll show you five or six pages in a row of no dialogue, extremely detailed action shots. It knows the medium of manga, and it knows how to push the boundaries in a way that other creators aren't. They can't do that in the anime. You don't get the same feel in the anime as you do in the manga when you're reading it because how do you portray how do you how do you portray the specialness of slowing something down, zooming in and showing an extremely highly detailed image seven times in a row? How do you sh- how is that special in an anime when an anime is already moving anyway? They're not going to make it super detailed because they just don't have the budget. It's going to cost thousand times more to make something that detailed on anime as it does in the manga. So what do they do? They just emphasize the the colors. They emphasize the angle, but it's not the same. In in my opinion, the manga for those scenes outstrips the anime by about a hundredfold to get the feeling of what is actually happening. And because I like a lot of detail, because I really appreciate the wow factor of the detail, I think that nine times out of ten, the manga will give that to you more than the anime will. Now, obviously, there are some shows where I think that the manga or the anime is superior. There are some shows where I feel like the anime actually takes a manga that's just ordinary and makes it good. But for my money, usually the manga is more satisfying to me. So another reason that manga oftentimes outstrips anime is because of filler episodes. Anime, and let's actually, let's talk specifically about Shonen Jump. Shonen Jump is one of the staples that a lot of people really like. Um, Shonen meaning boy, so it's aimed at young boys who I suppose are age 8 to 15. What happens is most of the Shonen Jump shows, whether it's a comedy, whether it's an action adventure, uh, whether it's a detective show, they're long form. So they'll have story arcs, kind of like a comic book or your favorite TV show. And in a TV show, like say Arrow, each story arc lasts an entire season. In manga, it's kind of up to the creator. A great example is where the arcs are clearly defined is in One Piece. So in One Piece, you have um, like the Skypea arc, where how they get to Skypea is an arc, and then how and what they do in Skypea is an arc. There's the Alabasta arc. Um, Some of the arcs are longer than others, but they're each arc tells a specific segment of story, which adds up to the overall story, blah, blah, blah. So here's where things get kind of nuts. If a show is popular, the manga artists can only draw and create so much. They can only 
put out so much content. But because of the popularity of certain shows like Bleach, like Naruto, like Drag, well, even like Hunter Hunter. I don't know about Dragon Ball Z. Dragon Ball Z may have just extended things just because they they want it to last as long as possible. But what other shows will do is they'll create these extra stories which don't come from the manga creator. So what they do is they try to mirror the same feel of the show and give you these scenarios. So it's like, okay, Naruto... Uh, Sasuke and Sakura they're not trying to go after the Chunin exam anymore but we still need more episodes of the show so what can we have them do oh well I'll have them find this random ninja clan and then Naruto is using the, the, the same powers that he used in certain arcs on these ninja clans that are like the hidden village of the hidden village of mud and like the hidden village of steam and the hidden village of Crayola crayons and you know just trying to extend the show and give you more and more and more so they can keep making money, basically. Now, why these are inferior, it should be obvious if you're a fan of these type of shows, but they don't have the depth of storytelling, so the scenes end up being lackluster. The... There's no real point to what the characters are doing, so they can kind of do whatever. I almost feel it's kind of pointless to do a filler filler arc, unless it's a comedy, because it's hard for myself to take a lot of it serious. And it's probably because I'm older. Like, if I was a kid, I may not have known or I may not have noticed. So maybe it's good for, like, the youngins, but for a lot of, you know, the, the, the manga and anime fans, long-term fans, those... You get intrigued by what's going on and you realize that it's, you're like, why is this episode so bad? Or why is it so dumb? Or why is it so redundant? Why is it exactly like a previous thing that, that happened before? And you realize they're just trying to fill time. They're just trying to extend it and they're making shit up that is nowhere near as good as the original manga. And I feel like that's why manga, in a lot of cases, is superior because you have, it's, it's pure. You don't have as many hands in the pot tainting the, the, the feel of the show. Whereas anime, you do. And because of that, you don't have to discover what's good and what's not good. It's all on the page. And you can kind of just judge it based on what's been presented before you and nothing else. Yo, so welcome back to Otaku Beef. I'm Zid Raw. Hope everybody's having a great day. I know I am. Um, so let me give you guys some examples before we get off this topic of manga, manga. I hate pronouncing it like that. I know it's the right way to pronounce it, but I grew up pronouncing it manga. And isn't it so funny that just because that's what I did first... I feel like that's the way it's supposed to be, and a lot of people will like that too. I got a buddy who likes to pronounce the X in Hunter Hunter because that's how he first pronounced it in his head or how he first read it, and then when he's corrected, he's like, yeah, but I still like Hunter X Hunter better. 
only because that's what he did first. And we're like that as human beings, which is the one great flaw of humans is that we have a hard time changing our minds on arbitrary shit. But anyway, let me give, give you guys like a, a quick list of shows where the, the manga is better than the anime, in my opinion. Um, Berserk. I watched the mon- the anime first, um, the first run, uh, before you get to um, the really crazy stuff. It ends at the golden age, so you just think it's this like terrible tragedy, and in a lot of ways it is, but the manga goes deeper, it goes further, it shows you more stuff, um, and you can really start to see the story. I feel like because of budgetary reasons, they couldn't keep up with the pace of the uh, of the, the manga. Maybe it wasn't as popular anime-wise, or maybe the just, studio just didn't want to pay more, but they, keep, they just remake the first part of it over and over again. But when you read the manga, there's so much more going on. Uh, another one is... Hunter Hunter. I've always felt that the manga of Hunter Hunter is better than the anime. Um, the anime is very good, but I feel as if it skips over a lot of stuff. It removes some of the explanation um, of people's motivations. It skips some of the fun parts, and some of the music choices I feel are kind of weird. But it's not that underrepresentative of the manga like some shows. Uh, Gantz is another one where they couldn't even really get into the show at all. The, f- the, the, the anime run that they had and had that really cool opening and everything, it never even got close to what the manga did. The, 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 even with the detail of characters, the uh, detail of the artwork, it, it doesn't even touch it. So... And it's so funny, too, because Gantz gets a lot of uh, flack for being lowbrow. But I don't really think it's lowbrow. I think it's pretty extreme, but I think there's a lot of really good storytelling. Um, I I, I think that he's one of the better mangakas. What is the one that he's doing now? It's like Inu Yusika or something like that. About the old man and the boy who kind of get turned into robots. And I think that that was a really excellent manga as well but the, the the anime it's it's almost like for budgetary regions they can't really get there uh same with Tensho Tenge where the anime it has that really really cool theme song bomb ahead um kind of like hip-hop influence and everything but it can only go so far a lot of it is because the the anime can't afford to keep making it so it's like you're missing a big swaths of the story um, are there any where it's like a short form manga, but the anime is better? Um, Honey and Clover, the anime is better than the manga. Beck is probably better, even though they didn't finish the story because it's, uh, it's about, it's about a rock group. So they actually created music for it, which is, elevates the show. But in a lot of cases, there's a lot of you know, instances where the manga's better. The Naruto manga ended up being way better than the anime because of all that filler nonsense. 
One Piece. That one's hard to tell. I may prefer the anime on that one. But yeah, let's get off this. Zoom. Yo, what up? This is Zid. Z-I-D-R-A-V-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W-V-Z-R-A-W
it's a very special title for me for all of those reasons. Plus, I love the I love the character designs. I just thought it was really really cool. The concept of a school where we're training soldiers and there's something sinister going on, but we don't really want to talk about it. I love the bad guy. I loved Idea. Um, I thought that it went down a little bit when uh, things shifted. Now, I, I don't know if I even want to say it because I know it's out on Steam with inferior music that uh, you can download and you can play. Um, I still have my PlayStation 1 copy, but I probably need to buy a PS1 just so I can play it again. I have PS1 games and I have PlayStation 2 games, which will be fun to play, but, you know, I gave my, my PS1 to my, to my cuz and uh, PS2 broke, so I, I tossed it. But it's it's just a it's just a fantastic game. I love the draw system. I love that you can kind of prepare for each section, and your characters would be ready. So towards the end, I was hardly using magic at all. But everybody over here prefers Final Fantasy VII. I think a lot of people preferred Final Fantasy VII because it was their first major RPG or JRPG. Just like a lot of people prefer Final Fantasy VI or III as we originally knew it because it was their first major JRPG. Um, I think it's a preference thing. I played through seven as well and I played seven before I played eight. And seven is a great game. But I can't say that it's better. I mean, there's a lot of things that 8 improved upon that I preferred. Graphically, it's better. The character movements were easier. You could see all of the characters following your character on screen, which I liked. I liked the character designs better. I preferred the story. And I think the music in 8 had a little bit more breath to it, but there are probably some more more hit tracks in 7, like the boss song in 7 is superior to the boss song in 8. Uh, Sephiroth's uh, song is superior to a lot of the songs in 8. Um, actually, even the, uh, the actual battle, battle song in 7 is better. So maybe the music is better in 7 overall. But when I go back and I listen to certain segments and certain moments, 8 had more moments that I, I really loved. I love the, uh, the scenes with Laguna and Kiros and um, Ward. I love the man with the machine gun, gun song. All those little segments and it was like a mystery for someone like me who hadn't experienced anything like that in an RPG. So keep in mind, it's one of my first RPGs, JRPGs, but it's not my first. I played seven first. I played uh, a couple of the ones, on, or one of the ones on Super Nintendo where I didn't connect with it. I had to go back and play those afterwards to connect. Like Chrono Trigger, I played that one after I played a lot of PlayStation JRPGs. And Chrono, Chrono Trigger is an amazing game, but a lot of people prefer Seven. They say that Cloud is cooler, like he's tougher, he's more confident than Squall. Um, I don't know if I prefer that. I like Squall's character design a lot more. I like the fact that he's more introverted more. I liked um, 
I like his scenario. I like the school setting better than, oh, I'm a soldier. And the beginning part of 7 is a fucking drag. Going back and playing 7 and being like, I'm going to play 7. Everything in Midgard, it's such a drag. It's so just, oh, I'm still in this fucking city. You can't leave. You're just stuck there. 8 has more replayability in that factor. And the beginning parts of 8, where you're sitting and drawing magic, the parts that people don't like, I love, I dig, because there's more freedom. There's more choice with how you want to play the game, even more so than in 7. Let's see, 7, the limit breaks are going to come up more often because they just, it's just a, a, it's just a, almost like a, uh, what do you call it, like a, a filling bar. And when the bar fills up after you get attacked so many times, you have the option to use your limit break. So you're going to see them all. Everybody is already predetermined to what they're going to do. I like more customizable games. That's why I really like 12 as well. 12 may be my second favorite, despite having Vaughn in it, who's like the worst character ever. Well, I just made Ash the main character. Uh, but the main character was supposed to be, I can't even remember the names. His name Balthazar? No, not Balthazar. Whoever was the was the one who was like the fallen soldier. He was supposed to be the main character. But then they were like, no, we have to make him a teenager. So they created Vaughn. And he was very out of place. He had nothing to do in that story. But it all just kind of comes down to preference, I guess. Like, I don't really need the too cool for school guy. I like when the character is a little bit more relatable. I like the fact that he was introverted. And the only reason that people said that he was quote-unquote whining is because you're inside his head. He's not speaking these thoughts out loud. If we were inside Cloud's head, he would probably give up that same kind of energy. But, yeah, people prefer seven. I don't. (laughs) I like eight a lot better, a lot more. I hope you guys are listening to the, the live version Um, If you're on the podcast, I love you guys too. But check out the live version every now and then too because I'm finding finding some really crazy music in here. Like, I freaking love this app. I'm I'm zooming. I'm so glad this app exists. Um, I had a a podcast way back in the day um, kind of talking about writing, storytelling, uh, books and stuff, but I couldn't quite get it to take off for myself because a lot of the hassle that kind of came with it. So I, I, I'm so glad this app exists because it's everything that I was kind of doing on my own, simplified and made easy. Uh, so I'm, I'm having a really good time. And um, I'm Zid Raw, and uh, I'm an aspiring rapper, aspiring otaku, aspiring human being, just trying to kind of find my place amid the, the conversation. And um, I love the fact that I can just talk about this stuff. So... If you haven't listened to any of the live stuff, you know, definitely peep it. You can hear some of my favorite music. I love hip-hop music. I love underground hip-hop music. I'm trying to give as much of the cool, unique stuff um, that I can find. Uh, some chip-hop stuff, some game chops, which I'm just finding, which I'm, I think that's fire. Uh, where I feel like I've heard some of those before, but shit. Uh... You know, like, 
give it give us a shout out you know what i mean if you're listening to this on itunes definitely give me a good rating um or a, a rating or whatever give me a comment because you know I, I i love the fact that anybody would even take the time to listen to what i have to say at all so thanks so much let me let me let me talk a little bit more about final fantasy 8 because that's what's on my mind because i want to i want to play it you know like I haven't played a video game in a while just because I've been so damn busy. I've been watching uh, a lot of manga. I was watching watching a lot of anime. And I've pulled back on reading manga, reading comic books, uh, reading Marvel uh, comics, and wa- uh, watching Marvel movies. Because now, now kind of is the time. But I want to get back into kind of my, my first loves. And I just have this real uh, inclination. I want to play Breath of Fire four again but I kind of want to do like uh, I want to watch or do a play play through a Final Fantasy 8 as well uh, which I just haven't I just haven't done um, but one of the things that I really I really liked about it is I feel like Final Fantasy 8 had a, had a really great rivalry which is a, a common theme in manga and anime where the main character has an opposing character whom is not the bad guy, but he's like the rival for the number one spot in the school for the attention. In Naruto, you have Sasuke. Uh, in My Hero Academia, um, you have you know the grenade kid whose name escapes me. In um, um, I guess in Ram one half you have Ryoga, but not 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 really. But the rivalry thing gives it that nice flavor. Ooh, in Harry Potter you have Malfoy. He's not the bad guy. He's just a dick. He's the rival for you know that number one attention spot, where the main character humbly you know stumbles into. Oh, he's the one that we all care about. He's so nice. He's so nice. But then this other guy, he's kind of cool too. So it's like, he's kind of an ass, but he's getting the job done. He's kind of fun to be around. That type of feel. So when you have Cypher and he's kind of coming at Squall on every turn, he's kind of an ass. He's kind of doing his own thing. He's kind of being a bully. He kind of pisses you off a little bit. He's representative of whomever in your life was making your life frustrating. Is that guy. So giving us that little bit of flavor within the story in addition to um, in addition to the actual story of the game I really like it's it's just nice way of escalating and creating tension and showing uh, the main character squad acting in those situations kind of how we wish we acted when we were in school being cool being chill and just kind of you know letting shit roll off your back you know it's that fantasy. I don't think I'm going to talk about the card game for Final Fantasy VIII, which is pretty funny because I really don't care about card games. I've never been a big fan of those types of games in general because it takes the aspect that I like the least about RPGs and maximizes it, which is the numbers, the strategy. Uh, of setting 
a numerical trap. There's no uh, visceral stimulation for somebody like myself. Whereas what I really enjoy most about RPGs is the exploration and the wandering and stuff like that. So, Final Fantasy VIII kind of made the card games a little bit fun. Just a little bit. Um, there's no real stakes. You can get good. You can save your spot and try to win and try again and again and again until you get the cards you want. If you have the patience for that, I would on occasion have the patience for that, and I would I would play the um, the different card games. When I went back and did one of my playthroughs a few years back, actually, I want to say it was like '06, so it's about been about a decade. I went for it and I went to make sure I had the maximum best decks because there are certain. Things that you couldn't get unless you had certain cards. It was kind of cool to collect the player cards. So the selfie card, the Irving card, Squall card, Renoa card, so forth and so on. I thought that was pretty cool. But as far as the card game itself, a lot of people liked it. And they liked it well enough that they brought it back for Final Fantasy IX, but I don't think it was as well done in Final Fantasy IX at all. And I'm pretty sure in IX, you only really had to play it one time. It wasn't as mandatory as it was in eight, where there's a couple of incidences where you had to play the card game, and if you took it seriously, you could set yourself up to get some more stuff down the line. You could play the people in the school, so it was kind of cool, but... I never was big on those type of games. It's one of the reasons why I don't play Hearthstone. I have no interest. I have uh, buddies who play Hearthstone. They really like it. But playing that card game itself doesn't really interest me. I I suppose it's it's there is a, a separation when it comes to seeing the battles. Seeing the cards blast each other and seeing the cards hit each other and like the damage like I don't get a sense of thrill that some people do um I'm trying to think if there's an incidence where I really did like I don't even like card games in real life now that I think about it I don't like I don't really like the I don't like playing poker I don't like playing spades hearts tonk any of that stuff. That's not really my thing. So that's probably why I don't get I don't get the sense of excitement that I do from other situations. Now, why am I bringing it up if I'm not a fan? And why am I going off on I don't know. Just feel like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is my show. I talk about what I want. But for real though, the the card game aspect of it and having just this little bit of depth and strategy inside of Final Fantasy VIII I thought was pretty cool. Even though it wasn't for me, I like that people liked it. I like that it was a whole other thing that they try to duplicate in the other titles. They try to give you a little bit of extra feeling and extra sensation in regards to what you're playing. Um, But sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Like Blitzball from Final Fantasy X was... It could be fun, but a lot of times it was slow. It was a good distraction, but if you didn't feel like doing it, and now you got to recruit players, and it's this whole other mini game inside of it. But if you like doing it, and you're like, yeah, I get to recruit players. This whole mini game inside the main game. So 
that's one of the reasons why I like Final Fantasy games in general is because they try to put a little bit more into the world than just the status quo. And the more I talk about it, the more I just want to play some more games. I still haven't played 15. I think I need to get my PS4. I need to get that on because it's the first time I haven't played the latest Final Fantasy game in a while. So, yeah, man. I guess we'll switch topics, but I may talk more Final Fantasy VIII. I'm Zid Raw, Otaku Beef. Yo, what's going on? It's Zid Raw. I really want to talk about the announcement of Pokemon coming to the Switch. And ordinarily, this wouldn't be a big deal. A new Pokemon game. Who cares? Right? You just get your next console, you get your DS, you get your 3DS, you play it. But... The fact that it's on the Switch has got people speculating. And obviously, it's one of those bullshit announcements where they're giving an announcement about an announcement where we're making a new game that doesn't really tell us anything. They didn't even get into any specifics of how the game is going to go. But because it's on a console, people are anticipating a fully realized 3D Pokemon world. Now, for those of you who are new to the franchise, or maybe you just don't play Pokemon, this is a big deal. The Pokemon games are so engaging, the mechanics are so intricate, well put together, that people have been talking and clamoring for a 3D Pokemon game forever, since its inception. I am one of those people whom I played Pokemon when it came out. And me and my friends, we would sit around like in a lunchroom when I was a kid and we would talk, man, I wish they would put a 3D fully realized Pokemon game. I wish we had like a Pokemon uh, anything. I bought Pokemon Snap the day it came out because I wanted this so bad. Seeing your Pokemon in 3D in a console, I, I had to have it. Now. Obviously, we found out that Pokemon Snap is a photo camera game, but I'm like, okay, that's cool. They'll be on Safari. I'll get to wander around, take pictures of the Pokemon, try to find the rare ones. No, no. It was literally an on-rails photography game where you're on a trolley, and when the Pokemon pokes its head out, you try to take the picture of the coughing before it disappears into the cave. It was bullshit. It was a $55 game. We were, there was no exploration. There was no walking around. There was no essence of the Pokemon world. In Pokemon, what's so cool about it is you get to explore, you get to wander, you get to discover things. And it's fun, but I wanted to see like full 3D graphics like a lot of people. Now, the divide is cultural because in the United States, we lean heavy on our console titles, on our big PC games. You play this stuff at home, in the comfort of your own home, and you want to be able to uh, sit, have cool major graphics, and just kind of play your game. Well, Japan is a very mobile commuter country, I should say, where people are on trains for long periods of time, so they try and push for what's going to give them the most amount of sales. If people can play uh, Dragon Quest on 
a train, or I guess it's not Dragon Quest, over there it's Dragon Warrior. They can play Dragon Warrior, the latest Dragon Warrior 9 on a train, and they don't have to wait till they get home, like they did with 8, the PS2 game. They're gonna get an increase in sales because people spend so much time on trains. So, now that we have a console called the Nintendo Switch, where it is a fully enhanceable console where it's basically an iPad with a controller snapped to either side of it so that you can play uh, the new Zelda on it, get a fully realized experience and take it with you in the car, basically. We have an opportunity to where we might get a fully realized 3D Pokemon game. So that is very exciting. If I have an opportunity where I can wander around and discover Pokemon in the grass, spot them, chase them, fight them, uh, collect, you know, put your, 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 your six together and create like a cool team. That's a system seller. And it solves the problem in Japan where you can take it with you too. So you have the console experience and you have the commuter experience. But they didn't say that it was gonna be a 3D game. They didn't say it was gonna be fully realized. They just made an announcement of, we're making a new Pokemon game. And so we're just anticipating, is this going to be what we want or not? Hopefully it is, but we still have that cultural divide between US or the West and J. So the divide between the US or I guess the West versus the Eastern titles is starting to kind of fade away when it comes to RPGs. The West... The West is major when it comes to um, the very, almost like this is your experience type of games where they give you an environment, they give you directions, but you can wander off the beaten path far easier than you can in um, Japanese titles. Uh, Japanese titles are very uh, directed. They take you through a particular experience when it comes to RPGs. They, they do it in Western games when it comes to like Uncharted, though you can wander in those. And when it comes to like Call of Duty franchise where they take you through the single player, it's like a motion, motion picture experience. But for RPGs, traditional JRPGs in the East, you start off with you're going down this story until we get to a point where you, we feel as if you learn the mechanics, you know what's going on, now you can wander. And that's kind of been the, the, the difference. Now, what's interesting is as the world has become flat, basically, different cultures, I guess, the West and the East, they're almost like borrowing traits from each other. Um, so if you look at a game like Dragon's Dogma, it's a very much an action style RPG where you have that very cool fighting system. It's my, still my favorite fighting system in an RPG. It's the, probably the most satisfying where I feel as if I am fully in control of what's going on as if something doesn't happen, it's my fault. Fighting style is awesome. Um, and it really borrows the mechanic of having a party but one that's in the moment, dynamic, there's no waiting, there's no active time battle system, you just kind of go. Now, then you look at the structure of it, 
kind of once you get to the main area, you're just kind of exploring, you're wandering, you pick up quests, you go get stuff. It's very, it feels like Western, kind of like um, Monster Hunter, at least my imagination of Monster Hunter. I haven't played it. Uh, other than the grind aspect of it, it feels pretty Western. Now, it's not as free and open as like a Skyrim where you can just go do whatever the hell you want from the get-go, other than that initial tutorial moment where you gotta, you know, sneak up on the bear that we've all played a million times. But what's really cool about this notion about how the West and the East are cannibalizing each other and we're, we're, we're discovering, we're being influenced by one another is that you get these really cool, what would be considered hybrids back in the day but they're just like new titles where you have the Western influence on these Eastern styles. So there was the announcement of like Deep Down, which which came out, which didn't come out, but they, they were really hyping it a, a couple of years back at E3 where it, you had this dungeon exploration but then you had like oh you're kind of going back in time into these moments uh very much assassin's creed influence there is a, a merging of the styles and then you have dark souls dark souls and the original demons souls are very almost like western style or feeling rpgs but with an amplified difficulty rate, which is very, very Eastern, where you can do whatever you want, you can make any type of design. There's a little bit of story, but you can kind of go wherever. And I would have never anticipated that type of game coming from, from a Capcom, but Capcom is paying attention to the landscape. They're seeing how characters love the freedom of Skyrim. They're seeing how characters love the freedom of uh, other Western RPG titles. Yeah, we gotta keep going on this because I like it. It's very fashion forward. Some of my favorite memories are of being introduced to a lot of Western style RPGs. I had a really good friend um, my freshman year of college and he would always put me on to these RPGs that I never really got to play when I was in high school just because we didn't have a really nice computer, couldn't afford it. But once I got one, I was able to, 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 to have uh, a lot of fun with some interesting things. So like Dungeon Siege, we got to play that when it was new, one and, one and two. We got to... Um, I got to explore and get my first taste of here's your party, you can go through the mode, you can collect your characters. And I was new to it, it was new to me because I hadn't played any of the um, other ones of that same vein. I tried playing Morrowind that summer. I bought it uh, from Walmart. I installed it. I did not know what the hell was going on. Everything was in first person, which I did not like. I still don't like first-person games. I always feel as if I'm too close to the action or something. It doesn't gel well for me. I like seeing my character. I like seeing move, the motion. 
only reason that I, I really dig Skyrim is because I can play it in third person. It feels better. I can look at the character's armor and the motion for me. A lot of people like first person games. I am not one of those people. Though with the exception, especially for an action game, shooters I can kind of get in there and do a little bit, but it doesn't hold my attention as well as the third person shooters have in the past. Shout out to Jet Force Gemini. But there's just something about the freedom that Western RPGs really presented. And this is coming from somebody who all the RPGs I played were JRPGs. I'm talking about the PS1 era, which I feel as is it's the golden era of JRPGs. PS2, uh, Silver Age, and then the modern era. They're 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 having this we're having this transformative transformation that's going on right now where the JRPGs are getting influence from more and more locations. But I think they're about to pop into something different going forward and I, I can't wait. But anyway, I played like Breath of Fire. I played um, all of the uh, Final Fantasy 789. I played Valkyrie Profile, Xenogears, which I used to say was my favorite my favorite RPG of all time, or my favorite game of all time, all of those titles developed my perspective when it came to RPGs. I had so much fun playing those, the exploration. I would play RPGs and fighting games, RPGs and fighting games, and watch anime. That was my shit, that was my lane, that's what I like, and that's kind of what I want to get back to. But when I started to get introduced to Western RPGs, the absolute freedom of what you can do, it is awesome. I love character creation. I love designing my character. That's one of the reasons why I played City of Heroes for as long as I did is because I could design the hero for myself, write a backstory. And you know, I've, I've been a storyteller since way back. So that obviously is, is another aspect of the game that I enjoy. I love developing my own story within the story that they give me. They give you like the sandbox, quote unquote, and then you can kind of go and develop the story as you see fit. Oh, I am the arch, the archmage of Arc or Arch, I don't know. Archmage of Winterhold. The people revere me. I've saved countless individuals. I've blah, blah, blah. It's fun. But the older versions had even more uniqueness to them because apparently Morrowind was really open. Less structure. More freedom more randomness, more exploration, and Skyrim was a little bit on rails, a little bit, where even if within the freedom you're going to end up in the same place as your neighbor, but just being introduced to that, seeing the character inventory screen and the light of putting new armor on your character, there's nothing better than that. Or maybe money. The cool thing about Western RPGs, to kind of continue on this on, the, on this tangent, is the moments in the games are self-designed. And now let me see if I can explain this. When you're playing a JRPG, 
what you're doing is you're going through predetermined character development, predetermined character moments and experiences where they're leading you down a path so that when you get to the big moment or the big moments, they know that those moments are earned so you get the you get the payoff like in Final Fantasy 7 when you finally leave and escape Midgard it the the payoff is is relief because they've led you down very specific moments specific moments of meeting Aerith specific moments of Seeing the backstory of Cloud with Sephiroth. Specific moments of seeing Barrett with his daughter. So that when you do finally break out and get out of the tower after defeating that boss and, you, and you're free, there's a whoosh. That whooshing of relief. I'm somewhere else. It's it's beautiful. When in Final Fantasy 12, when you get to the sand sea and you see it for the first time, because you've been doing all this stuff in the city and you've you've had the backstory with uh, Van's brother and then Ash's story, and then you finally have a party and you can step foot somewhere else. It's not just the same little desert thing where you're fighting the same wolves over and over and over again. And then you step onto the sand sea there's that moment of, of brilliance. But the game did that for you. That relief, that exhilaration, that thrill, it was by their design. For Western RPGs, because the exploratory moments are your own, you don't know when those thrilling moments are gonna happen. And when they do, it, you get the same sense because all of the character beats are yours. When I played Skyrim, my first playthrough, I was playing a I was playing a dual wielder light armor. Two swords, light armor. He would spin around and fight and all this stuff. I was having a, a tremendous time wearing my elven armor and all that all that good stuff. So I put in all this time going from city to city, all this time sneaking and killing bandits, all this time discovering and and becoming attached to my character. So when I'm wandering around at night into an area that I've explored thousands of times, and then all of a sudden I see a ghost horseman trot by me and it runs and leads me. So I chase after this ghost horseman and I'm trying to figure out what's going on and then it takes me somewhere and disappears. That's a moment, man. Like, they didn't tell me to be there at this time. They didn't set that up. They had the mechanics there. But because of my attachment to my character at that moment and getting involved in the exploration and the discovery of what I was doing, that felt like my moment and not the character's moment. You see what I'm saying? It's, it's different. 
there are a lot of these randomized situations because you do XYZ. You feel as if your actions are causing the, uh, the consequences, positive or negative consequences of the world around you. And that's what it feels like for your own personal moments in JRPGs. And it's brilliant and it's beautiful. And, or Western RPGs. And that's one of the reasons why I love them, why I love Skyrim, and why I look forward to keep playing them. And I could talk about RPGs all the time, but I'm going to hit you with some music, because I, I love everybody. So, I was reading this article about things in video games that aren't rewarding. Things that have you do a very extensive amount of work, but then at the end, you don't really get anything for it. And it pulled me in initially because of uh, one game, which I, I can't recall, but it got to like Super Mario 64, where if you collect 120 stars, nothing really happens. You can have a conversation at the top of the castle with Yoshi. And I was one of the people that actually did that. And I remember collecting that 120th final star. What you had to do is you had to get the eight red coins on the, uh, the rainbow road, basically, which is just a series of spinning blocks and, uh, clouds and, crazy craziness and the crazy part of that level is if you fell off the clouds you didn't just start over at the beginning it dropped you out of the sky to the very beginning of the castle so in order to get back there you had to run back into the castle climb up go inside another level do a side jump up into another painting which would take you to the top to climb a ladder to eventually go through the ceiling to get up to the clouds every time you fell holy shit that was some hard gaming platforming whatever i remember when i did that i felt like i had just climbed the mount everest i was on top of the world it was the last goal that i had i'd beaten the game long time ago and that was it that was my final challenge so when you do that that happens and there's also i think the penguin race that's in the game the penguin gets fatter so he's heavier going down the the slide and you can race him again i think but i can't quite remember but you don't really get anything for doing that i mean there there was even talk at my at my high school where someone was like yeah you get to play as Yoshi if you do certain things and then you go and like trick him and you, or you convince him and he says hey do you want me to take a look through the castle and you could play as Yoshi and everything big lie um, one of those typical like video game lying things that you know someone just creates a rumor just to see how far it was spread that one was not true there was also the infamous picture where they were like you can play as Luigi but Someone just took one image and recolored Mario until he was green and made him a little skinnier. And they're like, look, you can play as Luigi, even though 
this is before the Photoshop days where everyone had Photoshop or everyone had some sort of picture editor. This was, that's why it was like kind of like held on to, um, where we were like, oh shoot, we like maybe we can be Luigi. So I spent hours doing that stuff, but that was only after I got my 120th star. And it's funny because when you get that last little bit in the game, your goals are gone so it's like now it's almost just becomes about exploration but because of the type of game Super Mario is there's really nowhere to explore it's there's certain levels and certain tasks to accomplish within said levels and the formula almost changed beyond that like when when after that there was Banjo-Kazooie and that one also was a platformer but the levels were way bigger the things to do in the levels took way longer. There was just, it was just so out of control, otherworldly, that it was just different. And then, like, when we got to Donkey Kong 64, I never played it. My buddy did. That platforming world was so big and so extensive. I was like, I don't even want to go there. It's not fun enough <laughs> for me to travel from place to place. Like, in a big wide open world RPG like Skyrim, even the traveling, you are doing something. But in Donkey Kong, it was like, oh, let's try to get to the mission. Like GTA and GTA 5. Well, I can't think of any other examples that I played, but I do want to talk about video game lives. When I was in high school, there was a rumor that got started on the internet when there were only about three or four video gaming websites. So sit down and listen to Uncle Zid, you wonderful young people. And let me tell you a story about when there was no skepticism, when if you had the ability to create a web page and to put up some images and to just say, oh, I'm Alan Morris from video game tech news people believed it to be factual there was only n64.com which eventually turned into ign64.com which eventually turned into IGN yeah I remember that there was um the individual websites for the video games themselves I want to say that there was I, can't, I know there was one other website that I checked and I think it was PlayStation website but I'm not sure but there was any cool news there weren't that many so before I went to high school or before I went to college there was talk of this new type of uh, MMO and at the time the only MMOs really were EverQuest and I want to say Final Fantasy XI, which frustrated me because I was like, I don't have a good computer, I can't play this game, or I would buy it, and I would play. And there may have been one or two others, I can't recall them off the top of my head, but that was all that existed. So then, somebody created a website for this game that he was, in develop that he was developing. And keep in mind, if you were somebody who was just on urgent eager for video game news like it was it was like a whole new world 
to see these media shows about video games. Like, I know that the next, the first, like, real show was X-Play, but then the next one was all the shows on the internet, on GameTrailers.com, but they were real, like, shows. Um, Screw Attack, a couple of others. So anyway, before these guys, when someone posted some new video game news, we were like, whoa, I can't, I can't wait. There was this talk of this new type of MMO where you weren't even going to start as a basic adult human. You were going to start as like a child and your parents were going to lead you along by the hand and you weren't going to see too well, but then eventually you would grow up and be a 10 year old and you had to fend for yourself and like get food and stuff for your village. And then you would grow up and you, <laughs> you, you couldn't just build a house. You had to dig for, for mud in the, in the dirt. <laughs> you had to make it into blocks. Like the most extensive, like every aspect of a human being was going to be simulated. And there was like, a couple of pictures on the website where it was like the blocky guy running and um, next to a tree and like a picture of like a house or a hut and it was like the shittiest like blockiest images ever but because the story he was weaving was so good everyone's like amazing so anyways that never came out and later on uh, I'm in college so I'm in college, I'm talking to this buddy, he's from a completely different state, like the literal other side of the country. And I started, I was like, did you ever hear about this one MMO? You know, because we had, there are more MMOs that existed at this point. There's Dark Age of Camelot, which I freaking loved. And there were a few others, there's betas that you could kind of get into. And I started talking about this game where you start as a kid and my buddy burst out laughing. He was like, yeah, man, that was a huge scam. The guy is just some guy in his basement creating a blog and making some shitty images with like in uh, a, a 3D uh, modeler. <laughs> and he had people across the country believe in him. Isn't that funny? How we just had no perspective at that time. But we were, I was on pins and needles to see video of this game. Hi, I'm Zidraw. I'm an aspiring rapper, I'm an aspiring otaku, and I'm an aspiring human being. If you're just now kind of getting into some of the podcast stuff that I've been throwing out, I'm going to give you my spiel for a quick second before I touch on one more thing which I want to jump into. Um, All I really want to do is I just like being in the industry when it comes to geek culture, nerd culture. From way back, I went to a school where nerd culture was not popular. So, I was an outcast. Now, nerd culture is popular, but I don't look like a nerd. So, half the time there, I'm an outcast. It's when folk really get to know me and figure out what's going on that I'm actually a part of all the groups. I've always kind of been that dude whom when people figure out, once they figure out, I'm in all the groups. 
like I don't know it's just it's just chill like that because in truth I really do love everybody but I really want to kind of create or fall into that lane of hip-hop meets otaku that's why I have my otaku beats channel where I'm uh, I'm flipping some um, some anime music and video game music and making some uh, some hip-hop beats I've got my own my own music on my SoundCloud you know Zidraw talking about anime on Twitter at the Zidraw and my own randomness on my Instagram at Zidraw the wizard snapchat Zidraw and I only say all this because depending on where you are, I want to I wanna get to know you guys. I want you guys to get to know me, who I really am. I'm six foot six. I like to go to the gym. Uh, I'm the tallest one in my family. I have an older sister and older brother who are both in awesome jobs and are the most kindest, loving people. I've got a great girl. Uh, I've got a... Um, I've got a, a niece. I'm, I'm, I'm just a regular person just like you guys. And I, I want to have more conversations about this type of stuff because it's fun. It really is. Like when I see people like myself out there who are involved in certain things and like making music about stuff that I would make music about, it, it, it blows my mind. We have Samus with her Metroid rap, Mega Ran, who bases his name on Mega Man with his incredible, his incredible MC skills. Charles Hamilton with the Sonic the Hedgehog. Lukey Cage, where you can guess where he got his name from. These are people who are our fire MCs, and they're just adopting these type of styles that I'm adopting. So I'm just on, on the climb to where Zid Raw can be in that same conversation with my otaku raps. I've got some projects coming up that I'm very excited about. Um, but if you want to hear some of my like just beats and stuff, please do me a favor. If you, if you have some spare time, you know, check out the SoundCloud. Or if you really want to have fun, go to YouTube, search Zidraw, and watch the Otaku Beats playlist. The Otaku Beats playlist. Definitely check that out. Other than that, I'm just going to keep doing these because I'm, I'm having more fun doing this than I think I have in a lot of the other platforms. This is my lane. This feels like I can really thrive. And I can really connect with you guys on the real. So I appreciate you guys listening. I really do. Um, I hope that you guys are doing what you want to do because you don't have to wait on someone to tell you that's okay. You don't have to be like me. Start right now because everything is easier done than said. Trust me on that. I'm Zid Raw, the wizard. Z-I-D-R-A-W. I love everybody. Love, peace, and serenity. Word. So, I just saw the trailer for the Bleach movie, and 
Apparently, it's by the same team that made the Gantz movie, which I still haven't seen, but I have it saved to my Netflix, my list. The one where, um, I guess this is the good one. I don't know how far into the story it goes, but I think I had downloaded some of it or there was a website where you could watch it when it first came out, but I guess it was popular enough they were able to put it on Netflix, so fire, marvelous to them. So, I can't remember exactly where I was looking. It may have been one of the Crunchyroll news app, or no, it was on Twitter. I think one of the channels I followed on Twitter uh, posted a screenshot of Ichigo from the Bleach movie. Now, so many questions. One, how are they even going to make this type of film? I know that we can do it, but how are they going to do it in a live action way? Because what I'm waiting for is I'm waiting for the live action Hollywood Naruto movie. Something that's really going to take this property and create it in a way that's actually going to be viable for cinema because that's kind of the problem like when I think about when I think about shonen jump manga and anime the action is so stratospheric and so unimaginable that I have no idea how they're going to actually film it so that it's believable not realistic but believable do you believe the fake world do you believe the fake peeps that type of shit so I see the bleach thing and they didn't show any of the extreme nature of the fight so the extreme sword fighting or anything like that and that's really one of the reasons why it's very hard for it's very hard for them to make live-action adaptations of a lot of these manga because a lot of them, the the fighting is so extreme and otherworldly. Like, how are they going to make the Sampaktu, the, the sword, how are they going to make it change? How are they going to make it expand to where he says the name and then he can... Um, you know, they all said that, like, uh, kill, blah, 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 or howl Zabimaru, which is what um, Renji's sword did. How are they going to really do that and make it realistic and not corny or cheesy? Because that's the problem. When you do a lot of the effects of anime and you do it in real life, it comes across as kind of cheesy, as cornball, as a bit ridiculous, and... I see this trailer and I'm not I'm not poo-pooing it. I'm just curious as hell. I get that excitement because Bleach, that's that's one of my shows, you know, before the terribleness of the Hueco Mundo arc. The Society arc, that's one of the best written just one of the best written manga just arcs. If we're gonna do like top 10 arcs. Ooh, and I should do top 10 arcs. I should do top 10 favorite Shonen Jump or 
just manga arcs. And I can already think of a few off the top of my head where I would put on that list. Memo to Zid. I'm going to do a top 10 arc list. Um, I may stop after this one, write it down, hop back on and tell you guys about it because that really interests me. That's kind of like piquing my interest. I may just do top five, come back, do some more, or maybe I could just feature certain arcs and talk about why they're amazing. This is really, really tempting. I'm going to come back and do that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm really, really excited to do this. If you guys can't tell. So yeah, Bleach trailer movie is coming out, I guess. So as promised, here are five of my favorite arcs from different manga. The first one is from Naruto, the Chunin exam. And I feel like this is one of the strongest arcs in Naruto period. Not only have we spent enough time with the characters to where they are full in our memories, this is where after you have the initial shock of the story and the introductions and we kind of understand what's going on, now they start intriguing us with different parts of the world. So we learn about the different characters whom we didn't realize we would be interested in until we got there. And there's even this moment where they're first introduced to um, Kabuto and he pulls out these deck of cards where it has different ninjas stats where they're strong, where they're weak the information he's gathered uh, so that we can kind of learn a little bit more about who the characters are this is where we're first introduced to Rock Lee who went from weirdo loser to one of the fan favorites this is where we're introduced to Shikamaru whom we thought was a boring nothing character to became one of the most fascinating characters to watch in the entire show. It took the show from just being the ordinary moment to this is a realized, fully in-depth place. And if you want to go so far, like it's really split in half, where you have the first half of them, uh... And then the second half includes the tournament. Um, I kind of lump it all together because we're kind of introduced to uh, Gara at the beginning and then him being the final moment after the attack on Konoha arc. I kind of feel like that's one solid story moment, but I think it's really like two arcs split in half. So one of the best. Next in Hunter Hunter, Greed Island is probably one of the most one of the most unique arcs in the Shonen Jump story. It's where, in order to further find clues about Gon's dad, he and Killua enter a video game through a a joy station, or joystay, joystay, as they say on the show, where. They go in there and they're basically playing a live action RPG that has real life consequences. It's an RPG slash card game and it's just very unique and very interesting and nothing, nothing like anything else in the show. 
the first aspect of the show the arc was the hunter's exam which was very in-depth and unique and fascinating then you have the tournament under the heavens then you have um the York New Arc or Yorkshin uh, City Arc, which they changed to York New. I hate that I said York New first before Yorkshin. And then you have Greed Island, which I feel like is the culmination of this is what we can do with this type of story that you weren't expecting. So they go to this, they're transported to this other world RPG setting. And they have to go through and basically complete the game. The game's called Greed Island. It's fascinating. One of the best, strongest arcs in Shonen Jump history. Simply for how unique it is and how creative everything is around it. Um, the next is from One Piece. And I am kind of staying in, in this lane of the, uh, the big three. Because there's a reason why they're the big three because they have some of the strongest moments in Shonen Jump. Now, for One Piece, I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit because I feel like there's like two arcs that are kind of hard for me to choose from because they're back-to-back. The first is Whiskey Peak, or I guess the Grand Line and Whiskey Peak kind of together where it's like right before we really get into the main arcs of One Piece and this is the first moment we're like okay we have a crew now what so part 2 kind of continuing the um the grand line section where they first enter the grand line there's this moment where they stop at the Harbor City, where that's the city where before you get to the Grand Line, this is where everybody stops to start their journey. It's the city where Goldie Roger died, was beheaded at the end of the series. There are some fascinating character moments. Um, in this arc. And the reason I picked this one and not like one of the bigger arcs is specifically because of how thrilling these small moments were with Zoro. I wanted to really just talk about these because there's a moment where Zoro has to buy a new new sword. No, actually, I don't think it's this one. Whichever one is the arc where Zoro has to buy a new sword, where, yeah, it's this one, it's this one. And he runs into this girl that looks like his high or his 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 friend from when they were kids, the one who died. Now she has to help. He wants help getting his sword, um, and the guy's trying to swindle him, and he's just trying to get whatever. He doesn't have any money, and she realizes that he's being scammed, and helps him out, and he gets a sword. But then he has to. The one guy was like, oh wait, I can't give you that sword, it's cursed. And so Zoro tested his own luck as a swordsman against the cursed sword. And it's just wild and ridiculous and almost stupid, but holy shit is it exciting. And it could end up terrible because you never know what's going to happen with these type of stories. But it's one of the best character moments 
I've ever seen that just, it just feels right. And in addition to that, in addition to that, when you pair it with the Whiskey Peak part, where it's a whole town of swindlers and they have this big crazy party and everyone's excited and then they wait for them to fall asleep so they can rob them blind. Except Zorro, he pretends to fall asleep. He pretends to get drunk so that he can see what happens. And when they're about to take the pirate crew captive and like take all their stuff, it just pans up to Zorro sitting on top of a roof right in front of the moon, which is one of the illest shit I've ever seen in my life. So that was crazy. Thrilling moment, thrilling moment. That was fully earned. And then you got one of the best sword fights where it's literally him versus the entire bounty hunter game. Loved it. Um, jumping, let me get into a, a scene in manga because I, I kind of want to knock these out. There's a, there's a one arc in, I love in Gantz that I'm just going to call the new class. It's where they're getting their asses kicked. Alright, so part part two additional because I fucked that one up. I accidentally hit save too soon. Um, I wanted to get through the Gantz part. There's a part where they are losing and all the aliens are kicking their ass and Kurunoke is really the only one that's, that's left that survived except for one other crazy guy who the, the guy with the long hair he is insane basically he just wants to fight he wants to kill etc etc so what does he do he goes and gets more people for Gantz and in order to get into Gantz that you have to die basically so he creates this basically terrorist act and prior to that the story has been introducing us to all these characters who are just really random and unique um a, a famous actress a kid who's learning about ESP and telekinesis uh, a guy who's like a crazy super strong fighter type and a little boy who wants to hang with them, who thinks that this guy is his superhero come to life named Muscle Rider. Uh, all these unique and interesting, talented, skilled fighters, all of a sudden, they're all drawn together, they all die, and then they're drawn into the Gantz world. And then we have a whole series where the, the, the series stops being like a panic to, okay, now we're recruiting. Now we're going to figure this out so that we can get free and we can live our lives. And that will, that will be that. Loved it. One of the best. Um, so my last one that I'm going to talk about is the one that kind of kicked everything off is Bleach. I'm going to devote a couple of minutes to this one. Soul Society arc. One of the, it's going to go down in history as one of the greatest arcs in manga history. It's so shockingly thrilling that we weren't, we weren't expecting that at all. Because I thought that the series was simply going to be about a boy in the city fighting monsters, um, maybe getting a little stronger. But they, the, the whole dynamic changed. The story changed from him fighting monsters and being like a, a soul, a Shinigami for, for hire, basically, to him having to rescue the person who is training him, his friend. And he has to go through a tiered system of fights, fighting different uh, levels of 
the soul society organizations as enemies along the way. And we get introduced to a whole new level of the structure. Uh, we get introduced to the Bankai. We get introduced to one of the greatest, one of the greatest uh, antagonist, antagonistic like layouts with Ichimaru Jin and what's going on. And we don't really know. And I'm praying that if you haven't seen Bleach, you'll watch at least through the Soul Society arc because that is some brilliant watching. It's fantastic. It's amazing. So that's one of the, those are my five, at least for this short amount of time, best favorite manga anime arcs that I've got. I had some others like the first initial L versus Death Note arc or L versus Light arc uh, prior to the handcuff thing. That that that's a runner-up, um, but it wasn't the, the the start and end wasn't clear enough, so I didn't put it on the list. Um, in a the 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 alien attack in um, One Punch Man, where you get to intro, you get introduced to all of the S S class heroes, the um, some of the. Uh, some of the boxing matches in Hajime no Ippo, um, probably the one with Takamura versus Hawk is an amazing one. The, oh, let me see, the one the with Panther, the football player, and Ice Shield 21. There's so many amazing arcs that are out there that I just like that form of storytelling. And it's like a season of TV or one book in a series of books, in the Harry Potter books, would be an arc. The Prisoner of Azkaban is one of the greatest arcs in the Harry Potter universe. So, that's what I got to say about that. I, I love talking about this, and thanks for being patient while I screwed some of that up. But I'm Zid Raw. This is Otaku Beef, where we're just talking anime, manga, video games, hip-hop, anything that interests me and hopefully interests you as well. Beep.